Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How does the offer of free beer sound to you? As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with just that, free beer. Thanks to our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash city and cover just four ninety five for the postage. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair, and a happy new year, oh, uh, new year to all our listeners, and a happy new year to my three guests, who I shall introduce shortly. Uh, it's been a, a while since we've been on. Just to remind you what's been happening: City uh, have fallen further behind Liverpool in the title race. Uh, we're two games away from another Wembley final. Uh, we know our round of sixteen opponents in the Champions League, and as FA Cup holders, we're through to the fourth round again. Uh, and following the Christmas and New Year festivities, all of my three guests have had their own struggles too. And looking round the table, my first guest, because of all the festivities, I can see his struggle to get into his trousers. But he's here. Welcome back to John Stapleton. Thank you very much indeed. And because of the festivities and all the alcohol he's consumed, he struggled even to get into the studio. But welcome to Dave Hodgson. Good evening, Nigel. <laughs> and also, um, during the break, he's managed to get himself re-elected to Parliament, so that in itself must be a struggle. Welcome back to Edward Timpson. Very good to see you, Nigel. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, listen, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, I don't think we should go through every single game that we missed over the New Year and Christmas period. I think that would be boring. Mm-hmm. But we might be able to lump them all together. And the very fact, let's start with the fact, John, that we are now further behind Liverpool than we were when we were here before. They continue to win. They don't look like losing. They could well beat the Invincibles of Arsenal, of course. Everybody's talking about that. They just keep on winning. And City lost to Wolves, of course. Was that, was that the final nail in the coffin? Just to remind everybody, 2-0 up. Edison, mad moment. We lose 3-2. 
Was that the moment that says, actually, even though it's mathematically possible, we are not going to be Premier League champions this we year? We are not going to be Premier League champions. You can confirm that on the I podcast. I can confirm that officially. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it would be a miracle if we were, and I can't see a miracle happening this time. And to come back from eight points behind, as we did last year, was pretty phenomenal. But uh, this sort of gap is insurmountable, insurmountable. Uh, yes, I suppose the Wolves game was the one, because it were, there we were, two goals ahead, 2-0 up. With ten men playing after Edison's uh, <clears throat> error, to put it politely, uh, and, and we still lost three two. I personally thought losing to United at home was a killer. Uh, I thought that I, I just said to myself after that game, um, this isn't going to happen for us this year. I'm not quite sure why entirely it's gone wrong. Obviously, we've missed Laporte, um, but I don't think that's the whole story. I think maybe there are other aspects to the decline of the team, minor, de- minor decline of the team, I should stress, uh, which we may or may not discuss as the programme goes on. But overall, yeah, it, the game's up, we've had it, we're not going to win the league, but let's hope we win the Champions League, let's hope we win the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. Uh, Edward, you could add in, you know, not winning to, against Newcastle and Norwich, you could add into the mix as well. It's, it's, what, what's gone wrong this year? And John's touched on a few bits from your perspective. I'm again assuming that, that the league has gone as far as you're concerned as well. well Touch on that first, but then what do you think's gone wrong? What's the difference between last year and this year? Yeah, I think it's probably gone. Uh, we still hold out the faintest of hope, but I think you, it's, it's like where we were two years ago when we were just winning game after game after game. The confident levels were high. We were so consistent, and I think that's the problem this season. We're just too inconsistent, leaking too many goals. Too many of our top players are not performing at the level that they did last season or the season before, apart from KDB, who's probably actually doing better, ironically. Uh, and we're sort of seeing too much transition in the team. We've lost one or two key players, Laporte, as John said, being uh, the one that we've missed more than, than any others. And it's just sort of managed to sort of infest itself around the team. And with the games that we should be winning, quite handsomely, we're getting into struggles. Teams have sussed us out a little bit. Uh, and we've got too many weak links. Not every player you can say on the pitch is a world-beater, uh, like they were last season, a couple of seasons ago. And we are starting to see the emergence of one or two players, Foden being uh, the, the exceptional standout player of the last few games, who uh, I think is going to be a linchpin for many years to come. But we, we've gone off the boil, and we've not really got it back. And it'd be interesting to see whether, the, with Arteta going, uh, makes any difference, positive or negative, over the next few months. Dave, your reflections, just, we may as well get three out of three leagues gone, or are you going to give us a slightly different spin that Liverpool might just give us a, an opportunity? It's not going to happen, is it? I think the league's been gone for a while. I mean, it's looked for a while like we are going to drop more points than Liverpool between now and the end of the season, and that's been the case for a while, and as this lead's got bigger and bigger, it's just difficult to see how we would keep the differential at this level. Not let alone reversing it, you know, stopping it snowballing. But it's a weird thing to say, but with the way we've, you know, it's odd given the season that we, we had last year, but if you look at this season in many ways, it's a season of transition. We've had the sort of transition from Aguero's been playing a bit less, maybe, you know, there's a bit more rotation going on there, and Jesus has been coming into that role more. David Silva playing less, maybe a little bit of Phil Foden coming into that role to fill what he's... Um, what Silva's been traditionally doing so consistently and so well. Fernandinho sort of being moved in ten to half has put more emphasis on Rodri, playing that sort of critical pivot role, which, you know, first season in the Premier League to come in and step into that is difficult. And with Laporte gone, Fernandinho doing a manful job, but stepping in there when Laporte has been very key to what we've been doing is a left-footed centre-half. Losing a left-footed centre-half in that role has exposed what we're doing at left-back. 
And you can see that this is in Pep's mind as well now. He's brought Garcia in, which is a sign, again, that he thinks perhaps the league has gone. He wants to continue this transition. It may well be that this season is one we just have to write off in the league and next season we come back a little bit stronger. But I think we've seen a lot of changes on what we had last year that have made us so successful. Whether those changes were necessary or you know, because of the age of our players or just that this injury we've had to Laporte and to Sane as well, who's changed our, the way we use our width, maybe that's sort of played into how we've been different this year. John? Well, just a couple of encouraging things to try and lift, lift the gloom of this conversation. Please. Not that there should be any gloom, because, come on, let's face it, we're still a terrific team and we're still uh, second in the league. Uh, first of all, Jesus. Who, uh, you know, a lot of fans I talk to say, oh, I'm not convinced about Jesus. I think he's a terrific player. You look at the stats of, of Jesus. I think I'm right in saying he started about 75 games and he scored 50-odd goals. I mean, what do you want for six months? You know, <laughs> or oh, £24 million in this case. <laughs> no, but it, it, is, it is quite. It is a, a great record. Two goals against Burnley, two against Everton. I mean, and well-taken goals. And also the emergence, of this, uh, the emergence of this young lad, Garcia, who I've not seen put a foot wrong yet. You know, he's, he's 17, 18 years old, something like that. 18, yeah. 18 years old. That's very encouraging. And, you know, w- well worth remembering when we all try and, you know, sort of get depressed, well, not try, but when we get depressed about subsequent results. Well, well you say we get depressed. Depressed, John, but we just reeled off a whole load of teams we've lost to this season. Yes. And, and that's why Indeed. people are saying, and some people are saying, and, and, and let's do it now, and just to try and counter-argument your positivity, some people are asking Pep if he's a failure. Yes. You will remember that famous press I, I don't your views, Edward, on that. I, w- I, would not li- I would not have liked to be the reporter who asked that question. <laughs> that's you know, that. If you don't win the league this year, you're a failure. Pep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I won't quote him directly, but I think Pep's response was, was pretty good. He said, yes, I, I, I've been a failure ever since I won six titles all in one year. I, I've never matched that since. So that's a perfect response in my view. <laughs> of course he's not a failure. You know, this season not as good as last season or the season before. Not a failure, but in a million years. And he shouldn't sense failure in any, in, in any sense. There are things that need correcting obviously and we've had a bit of bad luck we've had some good luck as well I mean let's not get too despondent about this and let's rejoice I mean quite frankly against Port Vale we had a bit of luck in my view and we were never going to lose that game but two of our goals were, well the first goal was a deflection of uh, uh, the guy who used to play at Brentford uh, Lee, uh, Lee Laurie, um, not Lee Laurie, Le, uh, Leg yeah Quite a considerable deflection. The second goal scored by a young centre half. I mean, he knew nothing about it. Just hit him and went in. You know. And so you know, we've had a bit of luck there as well. Sure. And we've had some VAR decisions. Well, no, no, we'll come to that later on. We've had some VAR decisions that have sort of gone our way in recent weeks too. So it's not all doom and gloom. I think. I think another positive is you know, against Leicester, uh, where you know, they're ahead of us in the league. They're I think two points ahead of where they were when they won the, the league. Uh, you know, playing really, really good football, churning out results. Uh, you know, there is a, a, a point of their development where they've got a, a team that has, is well gelled, Vardy's on fire, you know, and we're still going toe to toe with them. Now, they may, we may think, well, actually, we should be more ambitious than going toe to toe with Leicester, and that's, that's you know, we all Not want anymore. to be above them. But, you know, they're a top class team, mm-hmm. uh, and we saw them off a few weeks ago, uh, perhaps not with our strongest team on show. Uh, and so I think there is you know, plenty still to be positive about, but. You've got to remember how far Liverpool have gone ahead this season and the differential in the not just uh, the points they're getting, but also the goals that they're putting in. I think their goal difference is just above ours. Whereas in our season, when we, we were the formidables or the centurions, uh, we, our goal difference was way ahead of everyone else. So I think that's where we're, we're, we've stalled a little bit. We're, not, we're putting in the goals, we're still scoring well, but we're letting in far too yeah. many. 
Let's talk about the positives then, because we, it's easy to look back and say it's a disappointing season. But as John rightly says, we're still in another three competitions. We're still mathematically could still do the league, although I think we'll all agree it's probably gone for now. Some of the positives then. Do you want to sort of focus on some of those younger players then? Yeah, because sure. people were critical of Pep, of course, by saying he wasn't playing Foden enough. We've, over the last few weeks, we've just started to see him emerge, seeing him starting more games putting in some good performances, scoring goals, etc. Um, and also, as you rightly said, we've got Garcia, who's sort of now been uh, given the chance as well. And uh, Taylor Harwood-Bellis is another one. So, so uh, Angelino, a number of these guys coming through. Your, your thoughts and reflections, Dave, on some of these younger players? Well, the, the flip side, of course, of this transition is that we are able to do a transition. We have the players who, in the eyes of arguably the best judge of footballing character in the world are fit to lace the boots of Sergio Aguero, David Silva, who you know, the decades that show have been the stand-up players in their positions. Jesus, as you say, you know, stats don't lie, and he is trying to replace one of the, you know, the striker of the decade, and he has been broadly very successful in, in doing so. And I think Can the I way he's been working... Been sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to pick up on John said, because there are people... Why do people... John's given us the stats. They are quite remarkable. Why is it that people do give Jesus a hard time then? Because his stats speak for themselves. And, and you can't compare him with Aguero, but people still say he's not up to it and we should maybe be in the market for another striker. Why, why is that? I think there's two things that frustrate people about him, other than the usual trimmings of a young player trying to make his way in the league. Firstly, he's a very expressive player. You can see when something's get, like getting to him. You get some players who look like you know, nothing ruffles them, you know, Mbappe being the classic example. You'd never think that he's playing at the top level when you watch him playing, because it's like he's playing in the park. Jesus isn't one of those players. He wears every emotion, and you can see every frustration and every moment of elation as well, like writ large on his face. And I think that makes people think that maybe he's not got the not got the psychology at the top level, which obviously the stats are showing he doesn't. But the other thing is he does get caught offside a lot, and nothing seems to frustrate a crowd more than a player repeatedly. You know, we get this excite, excitement built up around a chance, gets the flag goes up. You know, and back we go. I think that's been something that sort of riled the fans about him. You were going to talk about some of the other younger players as well. I kind of interrupted you on Jesus. So, so back to some of this. What about so, uh, Taylor Harwood Bellis? So Taylor Harwood Bellis, um, I like because he's he's a bit of a throwback, isn't he? In many ways, you know, he's that big, brawny centre half. Got a good, you know, good touch, good on the ball as well. But you know, when you compare with Garcia, who's so sort of stylish, Rolls-Royce style defender. You've got Howard Bellis, who's got a bit more grit. He's a lot raw. He's a, he's a lot more raw. I think he's probably a lot further off being able to make it as a week-on-week Premier League footballer than Garcia. But unlike Garcia, he's clearly got the physical stature to be a Premier League centre-half with pace and strength and just, all needed. Just looking, thinking about these four or five games we're, we're talking about over, over the Christmas period, I'd love to hear your views on Cancelo. Because, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, the jury's out, right? Paid a lot of money for this guy. And I have, I may be being very unfair, but I have never seen Cancelo do anything that makes me go, wow, right? And I've seen him do several things that make me go, oh, dear. Um, what, are, what are your views? Um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not so negative about it. I mean, I think he's, he's still adapting. Uh, and I, I have seen passages of play where uh, his positioning is better. Um, he's... he's put in some good long balls, uh, he's been more direct, because one of the things I worry about is we're, we're tap, tap, tap at the back the whole time, backwards and forwards, 
um, just to hold on possession, but we've then lost the momentum. So I think um, he's he's pretty quick. He's put in some good balls from the byline. So I don't, but you know, he's not by no way the finished article. And I think there are some weaknesses there which you've identified, which is him sometimes losing his way in a game. Sometimes his touch can let him down, in a, and his, his tackling can be um, sort of a little bit off. Yeah. Can, uh, can not I, quite can in I, the Ottomendi league. But can not. I add something as well, if, if I may? And I, I think that somebody like him, who's new to the team, new to the league, needs time, needs time on the pitch. And I don't think he's had a fair run. Well, I, don't know, I don't know what the stats are. Yeah, he's but been so, in and out. In and out. He's been yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and that must be difficult for a player right. in that position. And, I, and I, I, I don't think, kind of with Edward, I think the jury's out a little bit. I don't have the, quite the negative feelings well, that you have. Out. I said jury's sure. out. Yeah. And, I, I, and also, to, to argue against myself, I was talking to someone the other day, who knows Gary Neville. How is that for name-dropping, right? Wow. And Gary Neville, of course, had him at um, Valencia. He played for Valencia, yeah. didn't he? And Gary Neville thinks he's a fantastic player. So yeah. what do I know? But I, I just, I've just not been, you know, I've not been impressed. And we paid a hell of a lot of money for this guy. Someone I know you've been impressed with, him, and we should talk about him now. I mean, Phil Foden, what, what a story that is. The Stockport Iniesta, Great. City fan, and at last he's got his chance. And well, then he just had that excitement and that pace, and he's a different sort of player. It's, brilliant. It's great to see, isn't it, And John? a natural success to David Silva, in my view, and very encouraging, too, to see that in the game uh, the other day, we've got three City fans in the team. City fans, not just, not just Man- Mancunians. Absolutely. Or oh, oh, from Stockport, aren't they, too? <laughs> but it isn't close enough. Um, but, you know, uh, three Manchester City fans, and uh, terrific. No, I think he's, he's a superb player. And he seems no trouble, you know, he's, there's no off-the-field issues with the guy. He's almost boring in his social life, and long may it remain so, you know. Um, but a great influence, great pace, great, you know, great strategy, good thinker, uh, and great finisher. I mean, what more do you want? And he gets stuck in. I mean, that's yeah. the other point. He's in, you know, people sometimes forget about David Silva, how dirty he can be. Mm. And I mean this in a good way, you know. He was one of the, you know, the real ones who got into this... Sort of some criticised Guardiola for it. I would laud him for it. This ability to break up play by you know foul means or fair, and tactical fouling exactly. Yeah. And Foden's you know seems to have a little bit of that about him. A little bit of ability to get stuck in, but has that silky touch, ability to you know keep a ball in a very enclosed space, and you know use it very well and move from box to box while doing so. I think he's got a. I think he's ready, basically. You know, he is, he is ready to replace David Silva next season. Yeah, and I think the good news now is I look back at games where he wasn't picked from the start. I actually think actually it would have been better if he had. So I think the Everton game is a good example. Mm. Uh, and also in terms of stature, not just his physical stature, he looks um, you know, more, more solid. Um, you know, he's starting to, to, you know, to develop that, yeah, yeah. that muscle mass. But also I just think his presence on the pitch... He's starting to show a few more of those leadership qualities, whereas before he, he, he tended in his early days to be the, you know, the, the, the new kid on the block who was looking around wondering um, who, who, was sort of, who should be following and, um, and passing to. Whereas now he really sort of feels like he's taken the initiative of the game a lot more, and he showed that particularly in the Port Vale game. He ran that game completely. Mm. Uh, and you know, I, I think the signs uh, are really good, as you say, that, that he's, he's ready to go. And I think as David Silva starts to wind down, which... You know, is a, a sad, sad moment for us all. But uh, it, it, it's also encouraging that it means Foden is going to get the the run of the pitch. And there's no, no greater sight at the moment than a City shirt. One thing I will flag on Foden, which also links back to your point on Cancelo, that he's got that will have real versatility to the way that Pep likes us to set up. Foden's very good at drifting into the channels as well. He plays pr- primarily in the centre, but he's equally comfortable drifting into the wings in the way that De Bruyne and Silva have done for so long. When you've got a fullback like Cancelo, and this is where I think Pep really wants to use him, who inverts. You, know, you see in some of the games, you know, Oxford, he did this quite on it, was 
one of Everton or Wolves where he played and you know, nearly got an assist by basically coming in through the middle, not where you'd expect an overlapping fullback traditionally. Having players, you know, when you have your fullbacks doing that and you need those midfielders to move out, having someone with that sort of flexibility allows Pep to do some, some of these tactical innovations that he's so known for and really allows us to break up the opposition marking um, systems, which have more, more often than not, when we've been struggling, been the thing that we've really, um, really been our undoing. Can I throw another name out there as well as we're talking about young players? And if someone would have said to me back in the 60s and uh, early 70s that Glenn Pardo and Mike Doyle's grandson mm-hmm. would be running out wearing a sky blue shirt, I just mm-hmm. wouldn't have believed them. But Tommy Doyle looks a bit of a, looks a, bit of a star as well in the making, doesn't he? It looks fantastic. Um, and I was rather surprised he didn't get a, a run out from the start against Port Vale, but there we are. No, he's, he's very encouraged. I met Glyn Pardo before the match a few weeks ago, and he, I was talking to him about, uh, about the, the boy, because he's a boy, let's face it, and everyone is very encouraged by his progress, and he's a level-headed guy again, apparently, and just dead chuffed to be part of the team, which is all good, all good news. Uh, and it's, it's really encouraging that these, these youngsters are now getting a look in, because you know, it's an easy allegation to make against City, but it has some basis in truth. They've spent all this money on the... On the academy, and, this, and then they finish up playing for Swansea, Swansea Town or Doncaster Rovers or something. Well, what's the point of that? You know, in my view, is, uh, is this going to be the name-dropping show then this week? Well, if you like, I can add, I add a few more. If you, if you would, because we're, we're, <laughs> we've only had a couple so, so far, but they've been very impressive yeah, well, so far. I mean, it's, it's brilliant to have you on. And, uh, so, let, let, before the end of the show, I'd like to have a, a couple more from you. Edward. Yeah, but we do have. A re- I think we have a really good track record actually in, in bringing young. Academy players through who've got roots in in the city, uh, the like you know Paul Lake, yeah. um, you know, and unfortunately we know his um, career was cut cut short, um, probably about fifteen years too early, uh, and then other players that never quite made it for other reasons like Michael Johnson who was you know really good on the ball, really really um, exciting to watch. So I think um, Tommy Doyle's in that bracket, uh, and again if he gets game time, I think we might probably see him in the cup. Um, a little bit more uh, the FA Cup that is then um, he's, he's one who could definitely shine in the future and do you think as the league has gone this will give Pep the opportunity to play more of the youngsters he was maybe if the league was still on he'd want to try the tried and proven uh, sort of senior players if you like do you think this gives him an opportunity to maybe play some more of the youngsters or is it just a natural progression anyway which comes first I'm, I'm just not sure I think they'll certainly get more runs out in the league and, and you know we've, we've got four competitions to play in now let's not forget I think what gets interesting now is some of these players are arguably better than the players who we would have said would start. I would say the difference between Garcia and Otamendi is often that Otamendi is better in the air, but Garcia plays like a more mature player, which is <laughs> remarkable when you come to think about how long Otamendi has been, been around football. And arguably, Phil Foden is now, just by his energy and physicality, able to have a better impact on some games than David Silva. So it may well be... You know, away at Real Madrid or something, if we need to maybe get at them a little bit more in pursuit of an away goal, Foden might be a better option. It could well be that in some of these bigger games, these players now will stand out enough on their own virtues that they could, could come through. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. 
Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbott, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours. Can I just talk about Pep then? I, I, I rather facetiously asked if he was a failure earlier on. Uh, can we just sort of reflect a bit and think about Pep and his future? He does, doesn't have a great track record of hanging around. He's got another year to go on his contract. Some people are saying that potentially if we don't win anything, he may well just walk away from that. Your, your thoughts, Edward? Do you think there's a chance that happening or do you think actually what could happen is the other extreme where he sits down with the owners and actually extends for a couple of years. Where, where do you sit on that? I know it's all speculation, we've no idea, but your, your thoughts on where that might yeah. go? Well, it's always worth looking at uh, what history tells us, um, although it can only tell us so much, but the, the whole city project has been very well managed um, over the last decade. It's been very clear about what the, uh, what the plans are, um, and that's not just about the manager, it's about the development of the whole setup. Um, around the team and uh, the club. So I think they will have in their own mind what it is they want to happen. Obviously, Pep has to be on board. I would have thought he wouldn't be the sort of guy who'd want to go on a downer. He'd want to go out um, on a high. Uh, So if we don't win the Champions League this season, I think with the promise of more money over the summer, bringing some uh, players to fill the the place where he needs he, he. he needs reinforcements to get to the level necessary to, to have a really good run, not just at the uh, league again, but probably that, that holy grail, the Champions League. That's probably what, what will push him on for that season. And beyond then, it's, it's hard to know. He's, he's a difficult man to read in some respects, uh, and he, but he's so driven. Uh, he, will, he will want to make sure that uh, whatever he leaves behind is as good as it can possibly be. You could argue he's left behind, as Edward said earlier, the Centurions, the Formidables. He's left behind. He's changed football in, in, in England. So he's already got that legacy, hasn't he? He could, he could walk, couldn't he, John? Yes, he could walk. Of course he could. Um, but I think he'll fulfil his contract for the, for the next year at least. But I, I, I agree also that I, I don't think he's... A, you know, if we don't win the Champions League in the next 12 months or 18 months, I think, he, I think he'd want to stay on. I think he's relatively happy in Manchester. He likes the team, he likes the club. He's surrounded by his old mates, you know. Uh, and as long as that happens, I, I don't see any reason he wouldn't stay for another, another couple of years maybe. Uh, it's a difficult one to call though because... Uh, he doesn't need to work, you know. I mean, it's, it's not as though he's desperate for cash. Um, I, and and what, how do you top Manchester City, you know, winning four titles in one year? I mean, that, that will forever be his legacy at City. Um, so, but my, on balance, I think he probably will stay. I think he'll probably stay for at least, at least a year and maybe longer. I certainly hope he, I hope he does. I think I don't want to draw any question on Guardiola's record as a manager. But the one thing that's kind of missing, when you, if you were to sort of look at the great managers of maybe the last 10, 15 years, you look at guys like Ancelotti, who've won the Champions League, I mean, five times in his career as a player and manager, a number of those as managers think of different, yeah, Real Madrid and AC Milan. You know, you've got Zidane, who won it three times of Real Madrid. You look, you know, Guardiola... Where would he go and win the Champions League? He'll never go to Real Madrid. If he goes back to Barcelona, he's already won it there. I don't really see where he'd go to try and be the manager to win the Champions League. It gives him a better shot at it than at Manchester City. And I think that's, that will be weighing on his mind. He wants to win it with more than one club. He wants to prove that he is 
a manager who can win, you know, who can have that record in the Premier competition in the world if you're not English, maybe. <laughs> you know, that's how you'll think of it. But it's, um, I think he's going to probably want, that's going to be at the back of his mind, and he's going to probably want to leave having made a bit of a mark on that with City. Because that's what the owners want. I suppose the interesting scenario is if, if we do win it this season, and Champions touch wood, fingers crossed, we win the Champions League, whether he thinks actually... Now's the time. Now's the time. Mm. I think it'll go if that happens. But I don't think we will. No. <laughs> you don't think we'll win the it's Champions a... League? No. Because? Um, I don't think we're good enough, to be frank. Uh, certainly on the form this season, you know, we draw with Newcastle and uh, lose some of the games we've lost this season at home. I don't think we'll win the Champions League. Pretty, uh, so, so what are the expectations, Sean, this year? What, what, would kind of, what are the priorities and what are your expectations? What this, I think we could win a couple of like? cups. I think we might win the Carabao Cup, which we've almost got ownership of, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit later on, I'm sure, in view of pro- the, uh, what's going to go on in the next day or so. Um, I think we win the Carabao Cup. I think we could win the FA Cup. Um, I'd be happy with that this year, frankly. Uh, I, I still, I have to say, you know, you should, I should have prefaced my remarks about the Champions League by saying I still think the Premier League is a better thing to win than the Champions League. I'm sorry, I, I know it's a sort of... But we know that's gone. Yeah. Uh, t- two cups, will that be good enough for you, Edward? Yeah, I, I, I think it'd be... Hard to win both cups. I mean, we had an incredible season last season. Uh, you know, the final against Watford was sort of nirvana, wasn't it? We've never had such a good day out at Wembley. Apart from when we beat one, United won them in the semi-final of the FA Cup back in 2011, I think it was. Yeah. The Gillingham uh, trip to Wembley. The Gillingham one was pretty good in '99. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was my dad um, will tell you one in 1950s wasn't bad. No, let's not <laughs> let's not do this. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think we need some sort of success this season uh, because. From the fans' point of view, it, it's an important part now of demonstrating that we're better than the other side across the town. Uh, but also, it's a momentum issue. Uh, you know, if, if you start to get out of the habit of winning things, it's a harder thing to get back. So, for me, we, yeah, we need to win at least one trophy this season. Two, I think, is very doable. Uh, and let's hope the Champions League is one of them. You know, as, as, as I've said before, you know, I, I couldn't give a monkey's about the Carabao Cup. I think it's a glorified ashtray. I don't really see why we're, you know, why we take it so seriously when so many other clubs do. I think it'd be a far better opportunity just to let the young players have a run out and see how far they can get. FA Cup is, you know, it's a prestige trophy. It's one of the oldest cups in the world. Still, it's got a majesty to it. Still, still? I, I, I still think so. Do you I think, think so? When you saw the gates for the, for the last round, the, the attendance figures for the last round? I mean, it's maybe, maybe it's a shame that other people don't feel that way, but for me, it's always had a certain magic about it. It has for me. I love it. Yeah. I lo- and I it's... love nothing more than going to you know, City to play Barnsley at Barnsley, or to, to go to these mm. grounds we don't normally visit and see football in the raw, as it were. I think it's terrific. But something happens to the FA Cup. I, think we, um, I know we have this, this discussion every year, but those, the, the, the attendances, attendance figures for last, this weekend were pretty pathetic, frankly. Even City were down 4%. You know? mm. um, and I think, A, there's too much football. It's too pricey. It's too much football at the same time. You know, this, this Christmas schedule has been crazy, and the FA Cup has been uh, diminished by by that. Uh, and people, and it, as long as teams keep playing, uh, clubs keep playing second teams or re, uh, far, a team with half 
half the members of its reserve, reserves, people will, go, will shy away. But is know? it partly, the, for, for City fans particularly, this whole issue of the Champions League and the fact that we're now competing on all four fronts, that the Premier League and the Champions League just become far more important? Is, is, that, is that not the issue? Or do you well, think that, may, that's it, the view across football fans generally? It now? may be something to do with it. Um, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a bit old-fashioned, but I love the FA Cup, and I think it's a real shame that it's, it's not getting the attention that it deserves. And I don't think you can blame the media for this one. You can blame the media for lots of things, but not for, not for this one. I mean, you know, BBC and, and BT and Sky give it, you know, full mm. whack coverage. Um, maybe too much. What do you think? I probably need to blame politicians then, I think. It's <laughs> 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 I left, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I remember in 1981, uh, my mum and dad went to the FA Cup final uh, and I watched it at my grandparents' And from that moment on, it was like, I'm going to that one day. Yeah. And, of course, then I had to wait 30 years or however long it was before I got that opportunity. Uh, so, you know, there were 8,000 Port Vale fans yeah. at, at City. So, uh, yeah, there is still, amongst the sort of footballing fraternity, well, a real desire. That was because yeah. they were playing City, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that's Big, the FA. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's their, it's their, yeah. You know, as they say, their cup final. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, it does match up those those sorts of games between teams that would never ever play against mm. each other. For yeah. you know, although we, I think we did used to play Port Vale in League Two uh, many years ago. I think we lost two one in one of those games. But you know, so so it has still got that attached to it. But I agree. I think the schedule is so manic it gets lost. It's like white yeah. noise. Football's just happening around you, and you actually forget who's playing who in what competition. Uh, and you know that I don't think that's healthy. Uh, and it, it means, from a fan's point of view, it becomes also you know, impossible to keep up financially uh, with the time uh, that you have to put into it, uh, you know, the constraints you've got over the Christmas period with family commitments. I just think it needs to have more time to breathe. And I also think that semi-finals, for me, I'd like to see them moving around the country again. Mm. Uh, rather than everything being at Wembley. Wembley's quite a sanitised oh, experience. Yeah. Uh, yes, the final at Wembley, but I would have semi-finals <clears throat> you know, as, as we used to, wherever, you know, Villa, Villa Park, Villa Park yeah. you know, wherever. wherever, wherever. If, if it's two northern teams, have it in a northern city. If it's, you know, two southern teams, have it yeah. in a southern city. You know, common sense here, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's one that needs to be... Because, you know, a number of times, you know, like we've played like United or Liverpool or one of these teams at Wembley. And, you know, it's just... At the end of the more. day, there's not much to beat the cheer that goes up when whoever it is, the, the captain stands at, on, mm. on, in the stadium at, at Wembley and holds that cup aloft. I mean, that's a ma- oh, for the magical final, moment. Yeah. For the final, yeah. A I mean, magical sense, moment, yeah. which everyone yearns for. Sorry. Uh, talking of magical moments, is when a goal is scored and we celebrate, yes. or we don't, depending on oh, VAR. We're back to VAR. <laughs> well, I, you, know, you mentioned it earlier, John. I've yeah. got it in my notes here that there's actually been a number, Edward, there have been a number of yep. VAR decisions both for and against City and, and in other games as well. Yeah. And, and it's kind of moved on. And, we, and I, think, I think we need to talk about it because it's such a big topic. I, I'm sick of it, I have to tell you. I'm, uh, you know my views. I'm in, I think probably shared by at least one person around the table. I'm for it in principle. I think it's a great idea in principle. I think the application of it has been appalling. There are two things, clearly... Keep the fans informed. The paying fans are the only ones who don't know what's going on in this situation. You know, you're watching on telly, you have a good idea because they show you pictures, there's commentary, etc., there's analysis. You're a paying fan. You don't know whether to cheer or not every time we score. Oh, is it a goal or is it not a goal? You wait for what seems like an eternity to find out the results of, from wherever it is they sit and decide these things. Stockley Park. Stockley Park, yeah. Uh, near Heathrow. Right. Um, <laughs> and and it's, it just it, it saps the energy out of the game. 
I can't remember which what game it was now. One of the games over Christmas. We waited forever for for the, for the for the verdict. And from that point, you know, we we went one ahead. The game was looking good, and, and then for, for you know from then on, certainly for the rest of that half, all the energy went out of the game. All all the enthusiasm went out of the game. All the, the crowds were it was like a cemetery. At the Etihad, you know, there's no cheering. And it's just kill the game stone dead. And then that stupid situation the other day which I think you have the explanation for, whereby a ref puts his flag up for offside, game gets... Then, then a player is fouled. Then VAR look at a potential penalty, but surely they shouldn't be discussing the penalty because the ref's already... The line was already flagged for offside, but you know the explanation. Well, I think I, think I know the explanation. I was in the stadium like you were watching that, and, and I said to my mate next to me, everybody's going mad, but I actually don't think the referee blew his whistle. I think he delayed his whistle, and of course, therefore, once the ball goes out of play, then they can then... He didn't blow for the offside, therefore they can then review the penalty. Well, why should a game so exciting, which relies so much on pace and excitement, why should a game be bedeviled by the these sort of conversations. Well, I think you know my view. I've been well documented yeah. on this show. I don't think VAR should have been brought in in the first place. No, but no. that is a different issue. Yeah. Edward, yeah, yeah, I'm I, sure you have a view. I, was like, I think it was the Everton game from memory. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, and, and I was there, and there was confusion all around us. People saying, well, "You know, what the hell is going on here?" Uh, I think that is one of the key issues. Is you know, I I think VAI is here to stay. If you look at um, uh, video refereeing in other sports, actually works very well. Uh, cricket, rugby, tennis. Uh, I know more. It's more about looking at particular, you know, balls landing on or off the line. Uh, but in rugby, you know, there's a little bit more of margin for, for error uh, around that. Intentionally, the video uh, refereeing. So why can't it work in football? I just think the application of it has been so poor. And for, and I completely agree with John. The two main issues for me are first of all that. When there's uh, a decision that a referee needs to go and ask for assistance through the video uh, referee, uh, they, they're doing it uh, over, over an earphone. They're not going to the side and having a look at the screen. Why not, though? Do we know? I, I don't know. And the FIFA why? president was asked this and I thought that why. they were using it and, and said, well, I, I thought they were. It, I'll tell you, it's very, very simple, John. And, and the reason is it's about time. And they've been instructed not to do it. Because once you do it for one, you're then stuck. You've got to go every single time. You can't just rely on the earpiece. You're going to have to go over to that screen every single time now. And that will add, you know, 5, 10, 15 well, minutes to the end of each game. Why have this panel at all? I mean, you know, the refs aren't refs anymore. You know, Absolutely. why this panel at all? I mean, why didn't the ref... I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. I'm violently agreeing with Make you. Make a decision and then maybe look at the monitor to double-check he's right. I think we've got someone in this studio who has a different view. And I'd like to hear it. Dave Hodgson. So... I can't remember the number of times on this podcast we've sat here slagging off referees. And Nigel tells us off, but it's something that we've done plenty of times. You know, there's plenty of arguments, as you've made, against VAR, but ultimately one thing that football fans all have is a very acute sense of justice. We all believe, you know, the rules should be done properly, and, you know, if we've lost due to an offside goal one week, we're all up in arms, and that's been the nature of the game. So... Quite reasonably, authorities have responded, we need something that actually can enforce these rules properly. And in the vast majority of situations, VAR has actually enforced the rule to the letter. This is the question, is that a good thing? But if we look at, say, I don't know, give you um, an example of that Wolves penalty, which arguably was very frustrating, you know, the penalty we got against Wolves, where Mares went down, if I thought it was soft... But probably by the letter of the law, there was contact. He went down under that contact. Reasonable case for a penalty. Give the penalty. Takes the penalty. Penalty is saved. 
Camera looks at the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper is fractionally off his line. Rule says if he's off his line, you retake it. Retakes a penalty, saved, puts in the rebound. If I was a Wolves fan, I'd be spitting blood. But every single step of that process was enforcing the rules to the letter. The offside rule, we all used to talk about, you know, if it's level, there's a benefit of a doubt to the attacker. We can now prove whether someone is, you know, level to the, the smallest, you know, the smallest possible measure. And if someone's not level, we can give it. Maybe we don't want the rules enforced for letter. Maybe there was a margin of discretion, which we all thought was implicit to the laws. But if we wanted VAR to come in to stop referees getting decisions wrong, we are now getting the right decisions. They're taking a bit longer, but they have to. And maybe that's not what we want. Okay. Uh, just two, two things in, in response to that. One was to just finish one of the issues I had, which is, um, yes, let's get the decisions right, but let's let the, the crowd see what's happening. Yeah. And if you go to a rugby ground, if you go to a cricket ground, you see it all happening on the big screen. It's partly entertainment as well. It makes you feel involved with the decision. So it should be up on the big screen, uh, and maybe that's the one the referee could look at as well to save a bit of time. But uh, I think the, the one point, and I completely agree with you, let's get the decisions right. Uh, and I can think of so many games over the years when I've um, probably let my mouth run away with me um, whilst um, at Main Road when another offside decision has gone against us. But one problem I've got with the offside rule that they're interpreting at the moment is if you've got anything, any part of your body in front of the defender, then it's offside. Whereas for me, it should be where your feet are. Yeah. Or head. Or feet or head. The bits that you use to play football... And they may say, well, oh, well, you can use your belly. Well, I, I don't think many of them have got bellies big enough to, to be the bit that sticks out more than anything else. But so, but so you get some ridiculous decisions where there was a, a Raheem Sterling one where he, uh, he was clearly behind the last defender, but because he was um, in a, a movement, uh, sort of like a sprinter starting off of blocks he was deemed to be offside. So I think they've got to be clear about how are they ensuring mm. a, a player playing the game of football is generally offside, and I'm not sure that they've got that right. What I would say is that, it, from everything I hear about people talking about this, there's a margin of discretion, which we all sort of viewed was implicit into the old rules, that you, were, you could be level if you were sort of about right with the defender. You know, there was a margin of error of, you know, this is six or one, half a dozen of the other kind of foul. And these delays perhaps are not being well received by football fans for, you know, for those points. I know there'll always be people who disagree with VAR because it takes away that moment. But I think the real point of focus for the FA now should be, what is this level of discretion that we all kind of expect from our rule makers? And how do we get VAR to accommodate that? Because at the moment it feels far too precise. I think we've compromised. Yeah, and it is affecting the mood in in the oh, ground. Mm. You know, I mean, Aguero when he scored against Port Vale, he just stood there. Yeah, so he didn't know whether he was offside, whether there was some reason why it wasn't going to be given. Mm. So it's starting to affect players as well as uh, those uh, in the ground. And you know, I think those of us who are there to you know celebrate, um, you know, instinctively, then you know that where we can get close back to that all the better. The one thing I would say is the, um, the burden that would have been put on the cardiac ward at Manchester Royal Infirmary if there had been VAR on the Aguero goal in 2012 yeah. would have been insane. <laughs> so I do think, you know, there is also that question you have to ask about how you deal with the kind of emotional aspect, but that's a different debate. If we talk about what VAR should be doing, 
rather than whether it exists, I think that's a decent framework for us to analyse it. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Sorted. I, I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to this topic. I'm sure we will, John, won't we? We will indeed, yeah. certainly. You maybe, you've maybe been to Stockley Park and met, met the boss of the AR, maybe? Uh, maybe probably, ne- not, but it's probably on the agenda for next week. I'm sure, I'm sure you, <laughs> before you're back on the show, you will have done yes. that. I'm absolutely sure. Uh, let's talk, look forward. Two games to look forward to. Uh, we play Stretford uh, this week, mm. uh, away at the Swamp in the first leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final. Mm. Um, your thoughts and reflections? I feel quite confident confident about this. Uh, Revenge is sweet, you know, after the uh, home defeat in the league. Um, They're a very up and down team, uh, Stretford, a very up and down team at the moment. And I think we've, I think our mojo is back. We're, we're, you know, I thought we played terribly well against Leicester. Uh, And we can recreate that sort of, uh, that level of play and that level of performance. Uh, I mean, no doubt we'll at least come away with a draw, if not a win. I think we should be trying to finish the tie in the first leg, if mm. at all possible. Uh, don't forget, they did beat us at home recently, so if yeah. they turn up yeah. like, again like they did on yeah. that day, uh, it could be squeaky bum time. But what will be interesting to see what team he puts out, whether he sticks to the, sort of the two-team scenario where Bravo gets, gets a go in the Cup. I think because Bravo's had a, quite a few games in a row with Edison being out, uh, and it's a good excuse for dropping. Yeah, him. a good excuse for dropping him. He, you know, he's he's not really covered himself in glory, um, as you know. He gave the, the goal away against Everton, or certainly uh, started the precipitation towards the goal. Uh, and Edison's probably, you know, he's been out for a couple of games, so he's fresh. Uh, it's a big game. It's a derby. It's a semi-final of a cup, albeit the Carabao Cup ashtray. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's one that, as fans, as John says, it's a chance to get to get revenge quite quickly off the back of uh, a derby defeat. I mean, they did beat us. What, we're saying that they're a bit up and down team, but what should we be looking out for, Dave? I think we have to look out for the fact that they are at their best when they can get in behind you with pace. You know, they'll put Marshall, they'll put Rashford, they might put the um, oh, Welsh lad, Daniel James, um, on the right wing. You know, they've got players who can get in behind us, and we are famously not blessed with pace at the back, apart from Walker. So maybe you know, it's a game where you want Walker, Mendy... On fullbacks, um, possibly a game which uh, could be a could be a, a game too far for uh, Garcia, and maybe you know just want to have a bit more, you know, maybe a few steadier heads in there. But having a bit of um, a bit of pace around the team will definitely help. Um, I think they'll be very up for it. I'd like to see a response from us after what um, what happened at the Etihad. But it's a derby. It doesn't matter what cup it's in. It's a derby, and we have to go out and we have to treat it like that. And I guess over two legs, just looking around, because even if we do lose that game, it's all not over. No, we obviously no. take them back to the Etihad in, in a few weeks' time. Yeah, we have the exactly. We're, we're looking at, uh, we, we prefer to have second leg at yeah. home, of course. We're all looking at a victory in this, are we? And on our way to Wembley again for another Carabao yeah. success. Yeah. Nobody else thinks it's anything else other than no, that. No, I think, I think we'll win. Good stuff. I think it'll be tight, but I think we'll win. Let's look to Villa then, uh, Sunday afternoon uh, at Villa Park. Uh, venue of a future cup semi-final, I understand. <laughs> I you could heard... tell you I was with the manager the other night. I oh. was actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually. You, you were the nice guy. Yeah. Well, I know him from Brentford. He used yeah, to be at Brentford. Yeah. So tell us about uh, that, John. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was congratulating him because he just won at Burnley. And he, just he, remind he, our listeners who the manager of Aston Villa Dean is. Dean Smith. Yeah. And he, they just won at Burnley and he came to watch the game at the Etihad. And I was, I'm going to brief chat them. Nice guy. Uh, he's struggling. There. Uh, I think we should win that with, with ease, frankly. Uh, I, I hate... Sorry, Villa fans, but I think they're destined for the, the drop. Um, apart from Grealish, what have they got? Not a lot, really. Uh, their centre forward has just been cropped and out injured uh, for some time now. Um, I think that I could see it 2 0, 3 0. Not a problem. 
Yeah, they, I mean, they've had their moments this season, Villa. One or two games where they've perhaps achieved more than we thought they would. But overall, I think we'll be too strong for them. Uh, I think uh, they're, they're, apart from Grealish, maybe, uh, there's not a huge amount of pace compared with some of the other teams. And they'll probably sit back, try and soak us up. But if we if we can move the ball quickly around, not get to that sort of slow pace, which we see a little bit too often, uh, then um, I think we'll cut through them. Uh, and you know, they do leak quite a lot of goals, Villa, if you, if you can get in behind them. And in terms of team selection day, finally, obviously two games in the matter of a few days, how do you think Pep's going to sort of sort this one out? We want, we want to get ahead in the first leg and we also want to keep the pressure on Liverpool and Leicester in the league as well. So he's got uh, a choice to be made here. I mean, Tuesday to Sunday is not unmanageable. I think you know, there's a reasonable amount of time for recovery there, so I don't think we're talking wholesale changes. I think maybe three or four, um, just as much to give, you know, spread game time around as much as anything else coming out of the back of this, this period. But no, I think you know, they're not a team to be scoffed at. It'll be a, it's, you know, they, need, they know they need points. Mm. Villa Park is always a pretty raucous place to go. Grealish is a player who can cause a lot of damage and one I, I worry will end up in the other side, at the other side of Manchester in years to come. And I think is a player to watch, but you know, this should not be a game that, that troubles us such that you know, we shouldn't be taking three points. This has been an absolute pleasure. Apart from anything else, listening to the, the host of superstars that, that John Staple has been rubbing shoulders with, whether it's well, Neville... Well, never more so than tonight. Well, well of course. So but, you know, <laughs> Neville, Dean Smith, Glimpada, the list goes yeah, on. Yeah. It's been a joy and a pleasure to have my three guests. Thank you very, very to John Stapleton, to Edward Timpson, to Dave Hodgson. This is Nigel Rothman saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.